Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm teaching for the first time since we've been in this new building. I'm ashamed to admit. But uh, here we are. Um, let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to join our study today as we look into um, the uh, issue of judgment. And we ask that you uh, clarify in our minds what the differences mean between judgment uh, via design law and judgment via imposed law uh, represents. And we can help us flesh those out uh, more clearly today. We uh, ask blessings on those of our class who are unable to be with us uh, for one reason or another. And we ask that you bring them back safely in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. We're doing lesson five in our quarterly. And it is entitled, uh, The Good News of the Judgment. Now, how many of you hear good news when you hear the word judgment? And for those who, who use uh, our notes as a template to do their own lesson, I highly recommend getting this document, this magazine that we did uh, a few years ago. Uh, this it covers quite a bit of today's lesson and probably uh, probably covers the entire quarterly from a design law perspective. So I, I, I use this, I referenced this a lot when I was preparing for today's lesson. I encourage you to do so as well. These are available. Uh, you can download them as a digital copy. You can download and print them. You can download as a printable copy. Or if you mail us, uh, email us a request, we will mail them to you anywhere in the, in the U.S. Uh, Post will be on us. Good news of the judgment. So, straight from the lesson, from Sabbath, well, from Sabbath lessons, first of all, the memory text. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made the heaven, earth, sea, and the springs of water. Growing up and being educated in a um, in our school systems, Adventist school systems, this text was presented as the time has come for God to judge. I never, I never considered it the other way around that the time has come for us to judge God. Uh, and since becoming, uh, getting acquainted with and joining this ministry, my, mind sh- my mindset has shifted. And there was never any correlation to the worship of the Creator. Correct. The same text. Exactly. Yes, the second, the second half of the text. Worship, worship, because there's a law of worship. Worship him who made, who created heaven, earth, sea, and springs of water. And also, and it's implied in there, who designed the laws that life is designed, uh, it functions around. The laws that uh, govern the structure and the function and the methods of life. The law of life, the law of love. So from the lesson, I want you to see if you can judge anything about the author. because we are called to be intelligent judges. If the Bible was ever clear about anything, it's clear that God is a God of judgment. Stop. Even when I had a pre-existing legal mindset, I would have to disagree with that statement to begin with. If the Bible's clear about anything, he's love. He's patient, he's kind, he's forgiving. He's all of those things. Judgment was not the first thing that, I, that ever came to my mind uh, as far as the clarity from Scripture. It's clear that God is a God of judgment. Sooner or later, one way or another, judgment, the judgment so lacking here and now, is going to come and be administered by God himself, quote, the judge of all the earth. Or as Paul has written, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. <coughs> Are you guys getting a warm, fuzzy feeling? A nice, happy Sabbath so far? Scary thought, isn't it? 
having to give an account of ourselves before God, the God who knows the deepest things, the God who will bring, quote, every work into judgment, including the secret thing, whether good or evil. I say God already knows all that about us, so why would you have to go through this again? Yeah. He already knows everything about us. He does. I, I don't think there's any question. Mm-hmm. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows, uh, he knows our motives, our deep thoughts, the, the secret things. Which means he can diagnose us, correct? Thank you. Is it scary? Is it scary for a someone who's having symptoms of of name your condition to go to a doctor? Yes, it can be. That's right. Depends on the doctor. I had a, okay. Fair enough. I had a kidney stone um, about a year ago. I. My my primary care physician recommended a CT scan. I was a little concerned. I said, oh, great. Now they're going to find a tumor. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not a stone. Maybe I've got an adrenal tumor. Maybe I've got kidney cancer. Maybe I've got... Your mind starts, mm-hmm. mind starts wondering, uh, and my mind heads to the worst possible scenario. Um, turns out it was just a stone, and the physicians treated me. They, they diagnosed me. With a CT scan, uh, and and what 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 do we here in this class consider a diagnostic instrument? Well, what's what's in in scripture? What's considered the diagnostic instrument? The law, the, Ten Commandments. the, the law, the Ten Commandment law is used as a diagnosis. It's known as a diagnosing device. CT scan, an MRI of our soul. So. The physicians intervened and removed the kidney stone. My symptoms went away. If my physician uh, suggested, let's do a follow-up CT and see if the stone's gone. First of all, I wouldn't want to spend the money. But if, if money wasn't the object, I would have no problem going back into a CT scan. My symptoms, my symptoms were eliminated. Sure, scan me. Okay, this, this is how... This is how I think we should view judgment. If we're healed, we're okay being judged. We may even welcome it. David was not scared when he prayed, search me and see. <laughs> no. He no. was begging him. Right. He, he, knew, he knew he was in need of a, a, a diagnosis and a treatment. So what can we judge about the author or the editor's law construct? Just, just from this first passage in Sabbath's lesson, can, can we make? Can we, uh, without knowing their, the deep parts of their mind, can we can we make some accurate judgments? He's, he's been wronged, and he can't wait for retribution. For some comeuppance, it's a possibility. But he's the, 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 but specifically to his law construct, does he does he believe God's law functions like design law, or does he believe God's law functions uh, like an imposed law, like human laws do? Imposed. That's what we all thought for many many mm-hmm. years. Yeah, I mean i I came out of it, and, and and I have I don't know if you guys know who who contributed the lesson. You 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 can look it up. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty easy to find. I'm not going to name names, but. I'm going to submit to you that he has made, he's published a lot of documents and given a lot of talks down, down the avenue of an imposed law construct. It would be very, very difficult for him to uh, stop and track and say, look, I, I, folks, I was wrong. Okay? It's what I had to do, and the cognitive dissonance in my head was, was significant. And I didn't make a living... Mm-hmm. Promoting uh, an imposed law, a penal substitution, salvation model. I just believed it. All the more reason why he doesn't want, maybe, or anybody at this point to acknowledge it. It's yeah, I mean, I have, I have a, a lot of sympathy for these guys. I really do. Uh, it, it, w- it, would be, it would be very, very difficult. Just like, just like the physicians that... Um, in the last three years, have promoted the use of a an experimental injection to treat a, a cold virus, 
it, and they've they've told many of their patients this is what you need, and then for them to examine evidence and change course would be would be very difficult, deep, profoundly difficult. So I think these people deserve these people need our prayers because I I frankly I would like. I'd like our religion department over here at the university to come to a better understanding of design law versus imposed law. I'd like for ministries other than ours to um, accept and promote some of the differences between design law and imposed law because they're critical. Yes, sir. Art? Um, In the initial memory verse where it talks about fear God, Glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Is there anything in the verse that says God is judging or the universe is looking at what God has done? Yeah, no, no, there isn't. It's, we, <clears throat> we project our, our, uh, we project our biases onto the author. And the translators who translated John's writings from Greek into English or whatever language, they project their biases onto this. Uh, we're going to see, uh, I think it's in Tuesday's lesson, uh, there's half a dozen different versions of um, a text that um, read very differently based on the, the translator's uh, pre-existing bias of whether they believe the, or how they believe God's law functions. Yes, sir. The great controversy is between God and human beings. It's between Christ and Satan. Between Correct. Good and evil. Right? Right. Satan alleged equality with, with Christ. Who makes the decision? If it's between Christ and, and Satan, it's uh, not appropriate for God or for Jesus to make that judgment. It's got to be somebody else. So who has to make the judgment about whether God's government is right or Satan's government is right. 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 Int- intelligent beings. Unfallen beings and... And, and if, you, if, you, um, if you correlate what, what's happening in prophetic scripture with the close of the 2300-day uh, uh, prophecy that terminated in, in 1844, then it, what, what we refer to as the investigative judgment, and strangely enough, we have a magazine uh, on that as well, the, um, are, are we to believe that God began judging? He started with the, the A's in the books of heaven and is going through page by page and looking over the records and um, to see whether you know, the magic blood of, of, of Christ has uh, blotted out sins from the books. And every time someone's born with a last name of A, he's got to go back to the A's. And that used to bother me because my last name starts with A. I thought, well, good grief. Yeah, he's already done with the A's. What, what? He's got to be to the... My probation ran out. Yeah, he's got to be. He's got to be the X's or Y's by now. It was the '80s for crying out loud. <laughs> no, it, it, it's the time in history when enough truth and light had been uncovered that it that it allowed humans to actually make an adequate judgment about about God and His government. Yes, sir. Well, it seems to me as I have learned about this. Um, question of the judgment that um, the second phrase after his judgment has come and it makes much sense to me that you have the opportunity to judge Christ and then once you judge him or Satan then who are you going to go with who are you going to worship and so uh, his judgment has come. I choose him, Jesus, and therefore I will worship him who made the heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. 
In other words, it seems like Jesus is the focal point, or God is the focal point of this verse, as opposed to me being the focal point of being judged. I, I think that's well said. It's excellent. The, the, the <clears throat> marrying together of judgment and worship. Mm-hmm. Because if we, if we adequately judge, if we judge God accurately, then we should be drawn to worship, worship the infinite. If we, the reverse is true, too, I think. If we recognize creatorship or design, we're in a better position to accurately judge God. Right. Yeah, if, if, we, if, we, if we judge God as being harsh, bigoted, uh, misogynistic, whatever... Uh, then our worship is drawn away to something or someone else. It's good. So, going back to um, there's the I, I went back to the Power of Love seminar back in Dallas, and I included a link in the notes. But uh, in this document as well. Tim outlines the four different judgments. So, for a summary. First judgment. We, humans, we judge God. Is God trustworthy like Jesus revealed him to be? Or is he like Satan alleges him to be? Okay, in a reference, Romans 3, 4, and Revelation 14, 6 and 7, which is our memory text. Second judgment. This is the judgment of a perfect physician correctly diagnosing our condition and developing a remedy. And we've already started to unpack some of that as well. Uh, See Malachi 3, 1 through 5. Third judgment. This is the judgment where we judge angels and those who are not in heaven during the thousand years before the third coming so that there can be no doubt as to why they are missing. We'll have a thousand years. We'll have a an entire millennium to pour over record books uh, of missing loved ones. And That'll be a sad time. it will be, it'll, it'll be. And when scripture says he will wipe away every tear from my eye, what's implied in that? We have tears. <laughs> we will have tears. That's exactly right. Something to think about crying in heaven. Okay. And I think, I think Christ will have tears as well. Tears will get wiped away because, and, and questions will get answered, and, and we will be able to see in medical records remedy offered, rejected, remedy offered again, rejected more quickly, remedy offered again, more quickly and firmly rejected. And, and we'll be able to trace the process of a person searing their conscience to where they won't even perceive or hear a remedy being offered and then we'll see it in real life and after the third coming for those who for those who still have remaining questions we'll we'll see it we'll see it played out in in living color and that's that's leading to the fourth judgment this is the white throne judgment the holy city is on earth the uh, the doors remain open, however, no one comes in. And the wicked are are constrained to admit that God was correct in his judgment and diagnosis of the characters, but they attack the city anyway. And the saved, those on the walls of the city, are able to correctly judge that there is there was not one more thing that Christ could have done to save them. So for those who still have questions remaining after a thousand years of, of, of looking at uh, medical records and, and asking Christ face-to-face and asking their guardian angels and, and, and asking friends and family, how come? Why? Why? I don't understand. If they could only be here, they would, they would get it. If they could only see it. If they could only experience it and see it, if they could just hear the heavenly choirs, if, if they could know the peace and the safety up here, they, they would... I know they would come in. And, and one final demonstration to allow us to judge correctly 
the evidence is given. And our and our mind and our minds are finally made up, like the angels were at the at Calvary. All right, Sunday's lesson. The significance of the judgment hour. The lesson asks, why is it significant? Right after we are told about the everlasting gospel, the first angel's message mentions God's judgment. What does the everlasting gospel have to do with God's judgment? Depends on which law lets you look at it. <laughs> Correct. Depends on your definition of gospel. It depends on whether you're speaking of the true gospel or the false gospel that has been taken to the world. We've already, we've already unpacked this a little bit. Whom is being judged and who's doing the judging? And of course, the question we always have to ask, does it matter which law construct you're, viewing this, you're asking these questions from? So does the everlasting gospel of God's character of love make a difference on how or if we judge him to be trustworthy? Of course it does. Does his character of love, goodness, kindness, forgiveness lead us somewhere? God's kindness leads us to repentance in Romans 2.4. And with respect to the author, I don't think the first angel's message is about the white throne, the fourth judgment. Okay, I think it's more uh, like the first judgment. The, the white throne judgment is referenced later on in Revelation 20. I think the first angel's message is talking about the first judgment. Do we judge God to be trustworthy? Do we judge him to be... Do we open up our hearts and let him uh, transform our character so that like Christ? Do we let him heal us? Do we trust him as a physician? And I think at the same time, that judgment also determines our, how we judge Satan. Were his Pull that thread a little more. Were his allegations correct? Did he have points in his in his accusations? Or his, his arguments valid? The beginning. Okay, yeah, I, I hadn't considered that. That's good. Um, it, it's very... The, the the more the more I understand about design law, the more I understand about the remedy, the the more I appreciate how subtle Satan's arguments must have been, yes. and still are. The father of lies. I mean, he crafted the whole concept. I know, and I I have thought long and long and hard about this. In fact, there was a movie done um, I don't know ten fifteen years ago with Ricky Gervais. It's called The Origin of Lying. And, and the premise is, is that on earth, everyone told the truth. And he was the first human to decide to not tell the truth. And hilarity ensued. Okay, it's a quasi-comedy. But it got me thinking. It got me thinking about how, how would the angels, if they, if they had only, who knows how many thousands of years they existed before uh, Satan began his, uh, his scheming, if the only thing they had heard is truth from from God, from Michael, from Lucifer, from their associates and friends, all they'd heard is truth. Okay. They they had, they had no foundation of of knowing what a lie was. None. As humans, we're born up. It we lie instinctively. Did you take the cookie, Russell? <laughs> No. Mm -mm. What me? No, it was Lori. <laughs> it was the dog. It, it, it's it boggles my mind to to, to think that the how the 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 shift must have been seismic and and the the cognitive dissonance they must have dealt with. It was, well, Lucifer's always told the truth. God's always told the truth. But what I'm hearing from God is not what I'm hearing from Lucifer. It's, it's close, but it's not the same. Well, sin didn't have to become a reality for them to trust God, did it? I'm not, fo I'm not following your... Well, it sounds like that 
this has to, that had to be done, um, Satan and his lies had to be done for the angels to really know what truth was. To give them a contrast, just like the tree of life had to exist for us to, mm. yeah. to choose and develop our character. Well, I don't think it had to be done. Um, it was done. And they they were they were caught in in the middle of this now this this cognitive dissonance that they dealt with where um, both both God is tell God is is saying I'm telling you the truth Lucifer saying I'm telling you the truth God's not telling you the truth wow but if we have to learn by practice to discern the right from the wrong and they had never gotten any practice. Is it fair for them to be able to just be thrown in the deep of the pool and all of a sudden... I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't enough evidence. They're living in the light of God's glory. I'm just saying. This, to me, is the intuition that Satan had to know that he was going to have to scheme and manipulate to a degree we probably can't imagine in order to get them to even consider his arguments means that he knew their nature. He knew the level of trust they already had with God. But to undermine that was going to take... I, I don't... Yeah, I think he knew it and he exploited it. Yeah. He, he knew the level of trust they had with him as well and he exploited that. It's just amazing to know how close Lucifer was to God... He was the closest. Yeah. He was the closest created being. Uh, Ellen, Ellen White's quite clear that to him, as to no other, were the, revealed the depths and, and breadth of God's love. Yeah. No other created being knew it. He was a covering cherub. And yet still do what he did. And then, and I, I suspect that he thought that Michael was just another archangel. And when Michael was invited into certain councils and Lucifer wasn't, it incited a, you know, a, a jealousy began, which bloomed to envy, which bloomed to malice. Um, and then God had to actually have a council, have a meeting with the heavenly host and say, look, Michael is my son. Michael is equal to me. Michael was preexistent. When Lucifer opened his eyes and being created... He saw God the Father, Michael the Archangel, a.k.a. the being we know as Jesus, and whether the, the Holy Spirit has a, an embodiment, uh, I don't know. But that, that's who he saw looking at him. Yes, sir. Satan did not tell lies at the beginning. He was asking questions so that the other angels were saying, am I being told the truth? What is the truth? Okay, that, that's a fair point. No, that's right. He, he, Satan didn't immediately start out and say, you know what? <laughs> God's not telling you the truth. God's lying to you. He, he started asking questions, and, and we're told in, in inspired writings that the, um, the questions were about the God's law. And uh, in uh, one of Ellen White's writings, she says that to the angels, the idea that God even had a law was something that unthought of. They never even considered the possibility God had a law. They just said, well, this is how life works. This is the harmony of heaven. Well, a law? What do you mean the law? What's, the, what's this law thing you're talking about? So, yeah, I, and again, the subtlety of it, I'm sure, was just marvelous. And, and I... Seducing. I, I don't. I, if I had been an angel at that time, I I, I I shudder to think what side I'd be on. Because even the unfallen angels had a lot of questions. They they still had questions, and and part of creation was to answer those questions. Creation was evidence to answer some of those questions, which is why Satan knew that if creation had gone on as planned as God designed, that his argument would have been defeated. And we're told that he, he personally took on the uh, task of seducing Eve. He didn't leave it to one of his uh, generals. He said, this is too important. I'm going to do it. Uh, okay, back to Sunday's lesson. 
Let's see. Okay. Also uh, from Sunday's lesson. And the emphasis is mine. Heaven's infinite, minute, exact, and detailed records will be opened. And this is in Daniel 7, uh, 10. We are so precious to God that the entire universe pauses to consider the choices we have made in the light of the wooing of the Holy Spirit and the redemption so freely provided uh, by Christ on Calvary's cross. The penal substitution adherents love their medical, their records. I don't know if they consider medical records, but they love record books. Record books are where all the stuff happens. And you better get your books in order. Better get them cataloged with a Dewey Decimal System. Correctly placed, chapter, verse, spell check, get the records correct. And don't forget any. Right. And you better not forget any, because if you do... Back in the introduction, in the preface of of your record, there's a mistake, there's a comma out of place, you're doomed. That's why it's scary. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If if that were the way things worked, it would be terrifying. Exactly. Art. It seems to be a preoccupation of sins, but not dealing with the sin problem. Correct, and, and and when when you view God, uh, when you view God's laws functioning like uh, human laws, you're more occupied with behavior. Sins become a commodity, and in certain uh, denominations, those commodities can be packaged and traded and paid for and and uh, sold like. Orange juice futures, or pork bellies, or gold, or silver, or or oil, barrels of oil. It can be, they can be commodities, and they can be traded, and they can be, they can be monetized. What they seem to miss is that it's the book of life that's being opened. Yeah, so, right. You know, your names are recorded in the book of life because you've chosen life. Mm-hmm. You've chosen healing. Yeah. If you haven't, you're just not in there. That's a good and point. That's why the analogy of fixing or correcting medical records while leaving the disease. Yeah, you know, they're tearing out, tearing out records of disease and putting in blank pages uh, or a Shakespeare um, play in place uh, is ludicrous. Leaves you terminal. Art. Also, in actuality, is focusing on self. Correct. The very That's thing right. that mm. Satan tries to get us to do. Mm. Correct. You know, it, and God focuses on what? What? What are my? What? What's my record look like? What's my mansion in heaven going to look like? Which incites fear. Mm-hmm. It can. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, can. And then the cycle. Yep. And people who are afraid don't make healthy decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim's talk on COVID and the manipulation of your mind that was done in Michigan is a great, fantastic. If you got an hour, watch it. If you haven't seen it, watch it. I saw it live. It gave me goosebumps. It was it was incredible. It's incredibly done, and is dead on point. People who are afraid don't make healthy decisions, which is why coronavirus, the pandemic, was rolled out the way it is. It's the same. It's the same thing with the um, climate change hysteria. It's a nebulous threat that you cannot put your finger on. That is is threatening life on humanity. That is threatening life on Earth, and humanity will be eradicated. So, get in line, make these decisions, buy your electric vehicle, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's all by design. It's all, and it's designed to keep, get you and keep you afraid, so that you make health, unhealthy decisions. Upregulate your autonomic nervous system, which is the Fight, flight, or people often forget about the third one, freeze mechanism. So they either fight in rebellion, which in in my opinion is healthy. If something is ungodly, rebellion rebellion against it is healthy. The law of liberty. Your liberty is being constrained. Rebellion is godly. They either fight, fly, they run away. Or they freeze. This is the deer in the headlights syndrome. Or the ostrich with the head in the sand. 
people who are afraid make unhealthy decisions. All right, rolling on, Monday's lesson. Again, from the lesson, the cross and judgment both reveal that God is just and merciful. The broken law demands the death of the sinner. Justice declares the wages of sin is death. Mercy responds the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God is schizophrenic. <sighs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's Janus, the two-faced God. If God's law could be changed or abolished, it would be totally unnecessary for Jesus to die. That is correct. That statement is correct. I'm going to ask you why it's correct. Christ's death establishes the eternal nature of the law, and the law is the basis for judgment. Again, correct. But this idea that justice declares the wages of sin is death, no, sin declares the wages of sin is death. Sin declares, I'm going to pay you my wage, which is death. It's like saying the wages of the lack of oxygen is death. Yeah. Justice and mercy respond to the gift of God's eternal life. This idea that justice and mercy are two sides of the same coin is poison. Justice is, is simply what? You guys know what justice is? Making it right. It's doing what's right. Why? Because it's right. It, it, scripture also says if we confess our sins, God is what? Faithful and just. Justice is forgiving sins in this text. So justice... And leaving them unpunished. Yeah, through God's forbearance. One thing I've learned in this class is that it's sin itself that damages the soul. You think you may get away with something. You know, but sin itself, we were watching something on TV, which makes me remind, reminds me of that. And it's the sin itself that nobody else may know, but that person knows and the damage it does to that person. Right. I mean, how many movies and television shows have you seen where there's a line in there? Oh, he got away with murder. Yeah. No one gets away with murder. Mm -hmm. No one gets away with theft. No one gets away with child abuse. No one gets away with... Uh, covetousness it, it do, doesn't happen but it's satan's dream scenario to have us more afraid of god than we are of yes. right <laughs> if you have a if you if you believe that god's laws impose law then people do get away with murder mm-hmm. they don't get caught they got away with it right if they don't get caught stealing well they got away with it but when you when you know that god's laws design law no one gets away with it. sin 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 is what punishes sin pays its own wage So how do the cross and judgment reveal that God is just and merciful? That's not a rhetorical question. How how does the cross and judgment reveal that God is both just and merciful? Because he does everything he can to save us. He does the right thing. He steps in to save us and provides the remedy to heal us. So at the cross, how was God just? How did God do what was right? Was it the wages of sin is death? Jesus, you know, it says that Jesus became sin for us. Um, He who knew no sin became sin. And sin is essentially separation from God. Okay. God let it go. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like where you're going with this. Mm -hmm. And also conquered death and procured the remedy for us, which is a good thing to do for us, and also merciful. Okay, so it, it, it from Christ's birth to his yielding up his life on Calvary, if at any point along that way he had said, you know, I'm, I'm just over this. These, these people are complete ingrates. I, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm calling my 12 legion of angels. Then uh, many, many, many things would have happened. First of all, humanity would have been lost. I, I think the entire, the entire universe would have crumbled 
Um, the, the, the whole foundation for life would have failed. Satan's out. Satan would have been correct that God would, God was ultimately selfish enough to use his power to save himself. And which I think is what Lucifer actually thought. I think God, I think Satan actually thought that somewhere along that pathway, Christ would, would say, I've had enough. And you know, after he'd been flogged the second time with straps of leather, leather with iron embedded in them. You guys ever heard that one? How many of you took uh, Dr. Blanco's Life and Teachings of Jesus over at Southern? Okay, when the Romans flogged people, they had a stick with half a dozen straps of leather, and at the end of the leather, there were iron spikes. I promise you that the Christ's back looks worse than his hands and feet. I bet his back looks like a topographical map. I bet it is scarred and torn up, and you could see the words unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Can't imagine. Exactly. But at any point along that pathway, if, if Christ said, Man, this, this is nuts, I'm, I'm through, then Satan would have been proved correct. And everything we watch on television, uh, these people always, I don't know how I to say it, they, they, do, they do stuff to save themselves over and over and over. So there Satan is showing us what he thinks Jesus should have done. Right. Ooh. Yeah. And so what God did, God restrained himself. God restrained, God let Christ go and let him reap the consequences of the decision that Christ had made. Christ had made the decision to take it all the way to death. God respected that and, and, and let him go. If God hadn't let him go, he wouldn't have died. When you say God let Jesus go, what you're saying is he allowed Satan full access to do whatever he wanted to do. Because it was what Satan was doing that convinced the other intelligent beings in the universe that Satan was the loser in this contest. Well, that's part, that's part of what God's letting go means. God removed his hedge of protection. Yes. And God didn't, God didn't intervene to, Correct. to keep Christ alive. So how does, how does Christ's death establish the eternal nature of the law and the law is the basis of judgment? The law of liberty. Okay, it, 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 it reaffirms the law of liberty. It affirms the law of love. It affirms the law of giving. It affirms the law of exertion. It, it affirms everything about... The, the, it affirms the law of truth. The law of truth is something that we don't unpack uh, enough in here. Can you guys succinctly explain the law of truth? I can't. I can't succinctly explain. It. I mean, I can. I can do a. I can do a pretty good job, but I can't. I can't. Succinctly. Huh? What's that word mean? Succinct. Uh, in in a concise, concise uh, encapsulated. Because the law of truth has has a lot of different facets to it. You know, the law of exertion is fairly easy to explain, as is the law of worship, the law of liberty, et cetera, et cetera. But the law of truth uh, is is more difficult. Has to do with reality. So yeah, yes. One of the one of the facets of truth is truth. If rejected, the only thing left to believe is a lie. If you if we reject truth. Not truth is the only, is the only remaining pathway. And each time we reject truth, the belief in a lie is easy is becomes easier for us, and that's part of the law of exertion. We're exercising our our belief systems and our minds to reject truth. Therefore, the belief in a lie becomes stronger. And the faculty sensitive to truth becomes right. weaker. Um, I'm re- I'm halfway through Great Controversy right now in my own independent study. Uh, I, I'm reading it again because it's been years, and by years I mean decades, <laughs> since I read it. Um, 
And there's, there's a chapter in there, it talks about light being rejected. And, and the light that we're giving, that we are meant to advance in, if we reject it, the light we once had, that, that light we reject becomes darkness, and the light we once had also becomes darkness. If we reject advancing truth, and truth is infinite then what remains is darkness. And we wonder and we marvel why Christ hasn't come yet. <laughs> um, Dean, go ahead and put the quote from Ellen White from Testimonies to the Church up. Uh, this is from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, 471-472. The fact that the acknowledged people of God are represented as standing before the Lord in filthy garments should lead to humility and deep searching of heart on the part of those who profess his name. Those who are indeed purifying their souls by obeying the truth will have a most humble opinion of themselves. The more closely they review the spotless character of Christ, the stronger will be their desire to be conformed to his image. And the less they will see of purity or holiness in themselves. But while we should realize our sinful condition, we are to rely on Christ as our righteousness, sanctification, and our redemption. And not answer the charges of Satan against us. We cannot answer those charges. Amen. He can. We cannot. Mm-hmm. Christ alone can make an effectual plea in our behalf. He's able to silence the accuser. He's not making a plea with his father. Mm-hmm. He's able to silence the accuser mm-hmm. with arguments founded not on our merits but on his own. All right, so Tuesday's lesson, uh, a magnificent scene. Uh, the, reference, uh, the lesson references Daniel 7 as its source for Tuesday's lesson, so let's take a look at it. Specifically, verses 21 and 22 from a variety of different translations. Um, from Young's Literal. I was seeing, and this horn is making war with the saints, and hath prevailed over them. Till the ancient of days have, days have come, and judgment is given to the saints of the Most High. And the time hath come, the, the saints have strengthened the kingdom. King James Version. I beheld them, the ancient of days came, and judgment was given to the saints. We're talking about judgment. New King James. I was watching the horn make war, prevailing against them. The ancient of days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints. Sound different? Yep. Yeah. This, this is what I was talking about earlier, some of that pre-existing bias in the uh, translators. American Standard Version. I beheld the same war made war against the saints, prevailed until the ancient debates came, and judgment was given to the saints in the Most High. Again, American Standard. The good news, which I happen to like, usually. I was looking, the horn made war on God's people and conquered them. Then the one who had been living forever came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints. People in favor, uh, in favor of the people of the supreme God, excuse me. New International, I watched the horn wage war. And the ancient of days came, pronounced judgment in favor of the saints. So we've got three, three versions that say judgment was given to the saints, meaning discernment. A certain amount of truth was given to the saints. Enough truth was given to the saints to allow them to make a healthy decision. And we've got three texts, three versions that say the judgment was arbitrarily made in favor of the saints. God flipped the coin. Heads. I judge in favor. We are required, we need to be discerning when we're when we're reading not only scripture or, or not only inspired writings, but scripture itself. And we need to be, we need to be aware that we can, we can impose our preexisting mindsets on it. Now, 20 years ago, before I had even considered design law versus imposed law, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even caught the differences between those two translations. 
I would have, I would have imposed my pre-existing mindset on the judgment was given to the saints. I would have, I would have understood that from an imposed law construct. Now I can, now I can, I have the ability to discern between the two, and I have the ability to. If I'm asked a question about this from one of my patients or a friend or whatever, I, I can I can effectively make an argument on behalf of well, some translators have a pre-existing mindset and a pre-existing law construct. Thoughts? No. All right. So the quote horn verse twenty one refers to the papacy, and and if we. Let me back up a little bit. If we dovetail what was happening in history at the time, at the end of the 1260-year prophecy, with what was prophesied, we can, it gives us a better, better discernment of whether or not an arbitrary ruling was made in favor of the saints or whether discernment and judgment was given to the saints. So the, 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 the papal powers were waging and winning a war against the saints uh, for most of the 1260 years, the time, times, and dividing of time. And historically, the papacy opposed Scripture being read to or by anyone other than their leadership. They promoted the ideas like eternal burning hell and purgatory and indulgences, inquisition, torture, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. They persecuted Protestants, Jews, Muslims, uh, name your name your group in favor, and they, they did so in the name of saving their souls from an from a eternal hell. But above and beyond that, in verse 25, what did they do? They sought to taint, change times and laws. And if you seek to change God's law, what's already, what, what's already... It's already stated in the premise of your idea that you're going to change God's law. What, what's, the, what's the pre-existing condition of your mindset? It has to be imposed. That it's changeable. That it's changeable. That it functions no different than human laws. You've never seen a church committee get together and change the law of respiration, decide, let's, let's have some votes. How many think we should breathe? <laughs> All in favor? Turn blue. Hold your breath and turn blue. <laughs> We're going to get together and vote and change the law of gravity. This 9.81 meters per second squared is ridiculous. It needs, just needs to be nine meter, 10 meters per second. Let's make it a round number. So if you believe that God's law can be changed, if you believe that God's law functions like human laws, then... <laughs> Our leader is Christ on earth. He's the very embodiment of Christ. We'll, we'll have a committee and we'll, we'll change it to suit our needs. And it wasn't until the late 1700s that enough truth and light had, had been opened from the 1260 years of darkness that people were able to adequately and accurately make a discernment on God's trustworthiness. This is what it means when judgment was given to the saints, rendered to the saints. From a lesson, the destiny of humanity is decided in heaven's courtroom. Oh, my words. <laughs> I know. Some lessons are easy to deconstruct. This was one of them. Some of them are more difficult. This, this one was this one was easy. Didn't even need notes. Right prevails. Truth prevails. Truth triumphs. Justice reigns. This is one of the most amazing, marvelous, and most spectacular scenes in all of Scripture. And the good news is it ends very well for God's faithful people who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So in direct contradiction to one of the founders of our churches. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. So, again, I ask you rhetorically, which law construct does the author or editor prefer? And, and, what, and, and again, 
they're referring to this fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment. He, he, the author states the destiny of all humanity was decided in, in heaven's courtroom. Was uh, the de- humanity's destiny decided in 1844? All of humanity. Was this destiny decided then? No. Come on. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I've been listening or been here about a year now with uh, you and Tim and everything. When you all talk, it makes so much sense, but I don't have the mind to repeat it and remember <laughs> it all. But uh, one thing that I have kind of learned is the two laws, to look through it at a different lens. And when you do that, at least in my mind, it's so much easier to understand no question we're coming to i mean it's like that there i mean that's all i read all my life was that okay so i know the blood of jesus is going to cover us that's okay you're right you're absolutely right and i i remember i remember the 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 moment the instant that my mind opened up to the the difference between design law or imposed law. I mean, just, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't in class. Tim and I were talking, I mean, maybe in one of the trips we'd taken. I don't, I don't remember, but it, it, it just, boom. It was like, it was like a cornerstone had been put in and the foundation was now stable and everything made sense. Mm-hmm. It's linchpin. It's, it's foundational. It's, it's, the, so fleshing out the difference between design law and imposed law is critical, absolutely critical. And once you have that perspective, you almost can, can't not see things mm-hmm. through those lenses and can't not recognize things like that as, oh, that's an imposed law view. It's like you can't go back mm-hmm. once that. It'd be, it'd be yeah, it, I, I couldn't go back, I, I hope. I hope I don't reject that truth. It was a hand in the back. This judgment thing, the way it's presented in the quarterly, is kind of like buying a lottery ticket and you're waiting to see if you're going to be a winner. <laughs> the number is that's a good <laughs> It's good. Uh, it's been four years for me since we started coming and learning about design law. And when we learned, it was good news. That's right. Yes. It was good news. Thank Absolutely. That it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real quick, uh, I want to I want to take some uh, something in Wednesday's lesson that really kind of um, uh, got to me. Um, the, the the lesson asked were the some similarities found between Revelation four and Daniel seven and, and, and both of their descriptions of heaven. So I'll I'll just go through my encapsulation of it. So in Revelation 4, the one on the throne had the appearance of jasper and sardine, which is also a carnelian stone. The carnelian stone was the first stone on the high priest's breastplate. It was top left. As we we would be looking at the uh, high priest, it would be top right, but it was top left. In Hebrew, they read right to left. English, we read left to right. So, first stone. This is symbolic of the firstborn. Uh, Simeon? No, Reuben. Reuben, the firstborn. Bottom right was Jasper. So, the one on the throne had the appearance of carnelian stone and Jasper. First and last, Alpha, Omega. I am the first and last. I see any wheels turning. Benjamin being the last born. Ties in nicely with the future chapters in Revelation where Christ says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, in verse 24, and, and, and also the vision of heaven, 24 elders surround the throne. And, and I think the lesson's on point here when it says that it recognizes these as being humans. Either first fruits that were raised uh, when Christ uh, was resurrected or otherwise. But I think the 24 elders are human beings who, who have been translated to heaven. 
probably Moses and Elijah uh, among them, and Enoch. Uh, They're clothed in white. Of course, the white is symbolizing purity of character, not simply being covered in a in a white robe. And that's some magic garment that Christ uh, that keeps God from seeing us as He is. He actually sees us as healed, as we are. So Daniel seven, the description: the Ancient of Days is on the throne. His appearance is white. It's not red and green like the carnelian and jasper. His appearance is white. White as snow, white as wool. And the throne and the wheels beneath the throne are were as fire, quote. And a river of fire came out from beneath the phone. Billions stood in the fire ministering for him. Of course, the white is symbolic of purity and grace and truth. What's the fire represent? I thought that fire was truth. It can be the fire of truth and love. God's unveiled glory, character, presence. And if you and if you contrast that with uh, in, later in Revelation, when um, John is given a vision of heaven, he sees a lake of crystal mingled with fire. So this this idea that the fire of God is consumptive and destructive. It's only consumptive and destructive to sin. There, there are, he saw billions of people, uh, billions of beings living in the fire. Lucifer walked among the fiery stones, etc., etc. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. 